welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Hey, welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day, showing and sharing the love of Jesus, going to be a key part of our theme today. Normally, Daniel Yang is right right, like next to me, but he's not right now, so I'm uh, filling in. I'm the host and the co-host. I'm not the guest, though. Wouldn't that be ironic if I was the co-host, co-host and the guest? Um, but I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine, the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We're excited to have today Kyle Eidelman. Kyle is a best-selling author, the teaching pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest churches in America. Is widely known for his um, book, which everyone probably makes the joke. It's called Not a Fan, but Everyone Was a Fan. It actually sold 1.3 million copies. Um, his new book is One at a Time, just out, One at a Time. And I really like it because you're going to hear us talk a lot about his passion for reaching people and more. Uh, basically, one at a time, making a difference in the world the way Jesus did in ways that are often overlooked. So um, we're we, we're friends. We have funny stories that we can't tell you on the podcast together, but they well now I'm not going to give you a hint, but it, it is it is fascinating. So um, so Kyle, thank you. And in your book, you write um, sometimes we say there's nothing I can do. Uh, what we're really saying is I don't know what to do. Whatever I might do won't have much impact. So let's talk a little bit about that because it seems we're making some mistakes when we don't focus on that one at a time. Talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, I know that there is within almost all of us a desire to make a difference, have an impact. As we get older, you know, we might lose a little bit of that uh, dream, but but it's still always there. We want to uh, influence people. In fact, these days on social media, you hear plenty of language around that of uh, influencers, and and that typically is measured in how many and how much. And certainly, as a pastor, it's easy to gauge my effectiveness or my success on those same metrics, right? Like how many people are coming, and how many decisions and baptisms, and and interestingly. In the past couple of years, a lot of the metrics that we've used to find success and find identity, engage influence and impact have um, largely been, um, you know, skewed at best by the pandemic. Uh, and so what we find in the Gospels, of course, is that that Jesus again and again uh, impacted the world through one-on-one encounters. I, I would say that if you just read through the Gospels and keep track of the real estate, it's surprising how many stories we read of just one person after another that Jesus uh, intersects with, and that makes all of the difference. And so for me, this has become a philosophy of ministry, and it kind of came at just the right time. I, I've been really glad these last couple of years to have that as a focus for me, for our staff, to say, hey, the way we're going to uh, gauge our effectiveness is by names and by stories, um, by being able to have those gospel moments um, in our community. Love it, love it. The um, I think a lot of people are discovering, maybe in our theological tribe of evangelicalism, that um, influence and change um, costs. It maybe costs some things that we didn't want to pay, and. I love the refreshing theme. I just had mentioned to people that the book is actually called One at a Time, The Unexpected Way God Wants to Use You to Change the World. And uh, I love the theme uh, after maybe the exhaustion of grasping for the brass ring, grasping for power and more. 
has maybe left many evangelicals disappointed, you seem to be pointing a a different way. So I, I guess wonder what made you want to write this book at this time. What what was the theme and the value that kind of undergirded this? Well, uh, around three years ago, I started to more aggressively move into the transition into senior pastor role. So I've been a senior pastor here for a couple of years. And I knew from being on staff at this church, large church, for, you know, uh, 15, 16 years at the time, that I would need to work really hard at keeping my focus on people one at a time. In other words, I, I recognized that a danger for me in this role was going to be um, staying in my office, uh, sitting at home. Um, it was going to be focusing on crowds and not necessarily um, continuing to have that uh, one at a time emphasis in, in my life. And I, I knew I would have to fight for it in a different way. Uh, and I wanted to, because that's really what motivates me. I was a church planter before coming here. And, and that one at a time emphasis in church planting, as you know, um, is pretty easy. Like you, you, you have it, whether you want to or not, because you're True. surrounded by uh, one at a time people and you're very accessible by nature and the church plant. And, and so coming into a, a, a church with, you know, a, a lot of people and big crowds, uh, it wasn't nearly as natural. I, I found that it was something I had to work at. And, and when I start to lose that, I, I don't feel like I'm very effective as a preacher or as a writer. I don't feel like I'm uh, very emotionally um, connected. I, I get more discouraged easily. Like I have to keep my focus on the one at a time transformation. And, um, and, and that's to me very um, consistent with the gospels and, and the Jesus way. Um, so I, I just recognized that about three years ago. I, I know that you have worked hard. I, at least I guess you have. I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but you've worked hard to stay connected to the local church at times when it would have been easy to justify uh, time spent, um, you know, in writing or in, in teaching. Uh, I, what was your reason for keeping that kind of connection to the local church? Has that helped? I, I'm sure it has, but but that's helped those people, those stories help inform your ministry? Yeah, I love how you've now started interviewing me. That's what I like about you, Kyle. You're not a subtle man. You just turn it around. Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, the deep level hypocrisy that you're bringing forth in this conversation, because I've been in your church, and it's not one at a time. It's a thousands at a time. But I want to talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, so for me, it's that, you know, small one-on-one -on -one relationships. You know, we actually mapped out our neighborhood to engage our neighbors. We're going to talk about one of the things you're doing there at the church is you're trying to each, each one to engage one and more. Um, but it is uh, for me, you know, I'm not ministering the same congregation generally. You know, I'm just finishing up an interim pastorate in New York City that um, I've been at for, let's see, January was 18 months. Um, and, you know, I was at Moody Church before that. But in all those cases, you're the interim, you're not supposed to be up in people's lives in the mm -hmm. same way. You're preparing the way for the, for the next person. Whereas, um, you know, you're ministering same congregation, but, but so here's the thing, right? I, I'm, I'm both teasing and yet I want to tease out this idea. The irony of you, the pastor of one of the top largest churches in the United States, writing a book on one-on-one -on -one, when literally your ministry is, I don't remember, is there like three tiers in that, in that building? Um, but I think that's why I, I liked it. So 
So how is it like I, I could see, I could read your book and I could end up thinking like Neil Cole and Organic Church. I want to start house churches, one on one disciple making. You're writing this as a pastor of a church, one of the largest churches in the whole country. What's the disconnect? Is there a disconnect? Is there a commonality? Help me to think it through. Yeah, I, I would say you know that you know crowds of thousands and one at a time don't need to uh, contradict one another. In fact, yeah, I, if you look through the different stories of Jesus. You, you oftentimes find that the one at a time moments happen within the context of a crowd, you know, where oh, Jesus yeah. is surrounded by a crowd of this large group of unidentified people. And it's within the crowd that um, he sees the one who has you know, a question, a concern or a need or a hurt. And, and he gives attention to that one. Uh, for me, this was um, a really pivotal um, philosophy of ministry moment when I was new to kind of this big mega church and I was feeling a little bit discouraged really missing church planting culture and I yeah. started reading Luke chapter 8 and I was reading the story preparing a message for the story on the woman with the issue of blood and when she she reaches out she touches the cloak of Jesus she tries to kind of disappear into the crowd and and then you know there's this really beautiful verse where it says seeing that she could not go unnoticed and that verse for me became the way I wanted to gauge um, my ministry effectiveness of, you know, who needs to not go unnoticed. So even though there might be crowds of people being able to um, prayerfully discern, you know, who's the, who's the one that shouldn't go unnoticed to me that I love the challenge of that. I love the beauty that comes out of that, the stories. Um, I, I don't, I don't really enjoy, to be honest, I don't really enjoy like large crowds of people very, very much. You know, I just want to point out again, the irony. I don't really enjoy large crowds of people when you have a three tiered, uh, how many seats in that room? How many seats in there? You know, not that you know the exact number, how many? Like 9,000. There's around that. Just a small, a small struggling church in Louisville, Kentucky, um, or now Louisville, Kentucky and the all over. But, but, but I do think what I loved, I could feel, and maybe because I know you, I could feel the tension of that. I mean, at times you articulate it, but I could feel it even when you're not articulating it. And and what I wanted to say, too, is that, hey, just so you know, if you're pastor in a church of 200, you know, our, our, our podcast uh, geared towards pastors and church leaders, if you're pastor in a church of 200, you don't have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with people anymore, and yet you're pointing away to, again, the book is one, one at a time, the unexpected way God wants to use you to change the world. So you're pointing to and I love the examples. I mean, this is why you're such a gifted writer. Uh, the examples you give, well, look what Jesus does. Let's be like Jesus. And, you know, the Sermon on the Mount's to a crowd. The Some of these sermons, are, I mean, he's in crowds, and yet he he notices and engages the the one. So, I mean, you know, not everyone's pastoring a church. Not everyone. Like 10 people in the country are pastoring a church the size you're pastoring. But everyone is pastoring a church. Um, everyone who's pastoring a church that passes 100 or 200 people still has to look for that. So what does that look for? Like, what, what is your spiritual discipline or practice to say, I'm constantly looking for that one to engage one at a time? Uh, well, for me, a big part of this is proximity. Like, okay. I, I just know how easy it is to lose accessibility and to not be around and, um, and then to justify that. And I just have found that that does pretty dangerous things to my heart as a pastor. Um, and, and so 
I, I feel like that has to be fought for. In other words, I, I have to be intentional with it. And, um, and, and so a few things that, that I do is I'll, I'll try, I'll meet with anybody in the church. Sometimes it might take a little while, but I'll, I'll sit down and talk to anybody. You know, I, I sure try hard to pray for specific people, names uh, within the church. I think it's a great gauge for how we're doing as ministry leaders, as pastors, like am I praying for people by name in my church community? And, you know, so some things like that help me gauge how, how I'm doing, making hospital calls, um, doing some, some things like that where I don't have to do it. Like there are other people who are sure willing to do it and, and, and do it as well. Um, but I, I just think that is really important. In fact, I would say, you know, it's maybe more important or that, I don't know, it, it's certainly vital for a larger church to have that smaller focus. And one of the, one of the things that came up from uh, our, our staff uh, about a year and a half ago, um, one, of, one of my friends had a, a daughter, five years old, who had uh, been going through cancer treatments and she was declared cancer free. And I, I had heard about this and um, he had sent me a text saying that we were gonna have this party to celebrate his daughter being cancer free. And then I saw where it was at and it was at like the uh, church across town, kind of a small church there that I thought, well, maybe they're going to that church. I just didn't know it. And, and so I messaged him and I said, hey, so I saw that you're having that party at that church. That's awesome. I look forward to being there you know, is there any, any reason why you didn't have it at our church? And he, he said, well, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I had a great spirit about it. He said, but when I, I tried to schedule a room and it needed to be sponsored by ministry and um, I wasn't able to get a room to, to do that, they said it didn't meet the right criteria. So I just called this other church and they said, sure, you could have the party here. And I just lost my mind, right? Like, how does that happen? Well, I, I know the people who manage facilities. I know that they are not against, you know, five-year-old girls being cancer-free. Like, I, I know sure. they, I know they're celebrating that and for that. And so when I went to talk to them about it and better understand the process there, you know, the kind of the driving focus for them was, hey, if, you know, if we can't do it for anyone or for everyone, we won't really do it for anyone. Um, and, and that was what was guiding this ministry decision. And, and so we flipped that, you know, um, we changed how we approach that. Uh, but it, it just illustrates that it's easy, it's easy to have that mentality. It was something similar where someone needed to park really close to the church um, closer than even the handicap spots would allow. Um, and, and so we, you know, we at first said, no, there's, you know, these are the spots that we have. And then we're like, well, why don't we just, you know, it's just, why don't we ballet for this person? And so we started doing that. And, you know, I, I think, I think those moments um, in, in your church community set a tone. Um, I think that's what gets communicated to people. And if, if, you know, if everyone is living with that kind of approach to life and influence and impact, I mean, that's the idea of the book is if we, if we all kind of have that focus, then that's what changes the world. Yeah. And the changes the world is a key theme in there, but one at a time, it's kind of a fascinating contrast. You know, even our conversation is a contrast of, you know, large church engaging in very small, meaningful ways. There's a very well-known book um, that is not your book, but it's actually by James Davidson Hunter uh, to change the world. 
the irony, tragedy, and possibility of Christianity in the late modern world. His theme is that Christians tend to pursue the big, the powerful, the thing that changes everything, which we certainly would say that's been the case. We've both seen it. Um, but he says that the way the real world is really changed is when people engage in what he calls faithful presence. They're there that's with good. neighbors, with others, with the hurting. And it's just as I and that's much more about it's a technical book. He's a professor uh, at University of Virginia, if I recall. And um, I loved the pastoral tone, but the application of individual sequential transformation. That's not how you put it, but I like it. Individual sequential transformation, one at a time, seeing lives change. Um, and I, 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 I think, what does that look like church-wise? Now, uh, how, how are you seeking to implement that at, at Southeast? in ways that maybe could be replicable, not everyone Southeast, but could be replicable in local churches. They might want to pick up the book, and, and again, the book is called One at a Time. But what would it look like for a church to help lead its people one at a time to engage one at a time? You know, one of the things that we try to be really intentional with is just um, the stories we celebrate. Um, for example, on an Easter weekend, it, it would be easy to kind of put the celebration and the emphasis on you know, how, how many people came or maybe as a record attendance and uh, how many services you had and how, how many decisions were made. But you know, I would much rather celebrate Easter by telling, you know, one story, uh, a, a person, you know, that we get to know and we learn their name a little more like a testimony that speaks to, you know, the transforming power of Jesus. And so the stories we tell, I think, can go a long way to setting this kind of tone. One of the things I've really missed in um, the season of COVID uh, was mm -hmm. that when we had baptisms um, at our church, we typically would have the person who's baptizing them introduce themselves and introduce the person and kind of make the connection and tell just a, you know, 30 seconds of a story. And I really think that that moment had incredible power in calling other people to make decisions and inspiring other people to offer invitations. We didn't have to push people to um, make an invitation or to make a decision because those stories were effectively accomplishing that. So, so I think the, the stories we tell, and no matter what size church you're in, you know, there's different ways to share those stories. And, and I, I think the one at a time celebrations are significant. If you walk into uh, my office, there's a, a wall just as one at a time stories and that wall is covered in you know pictures of people and just three or four sentences about their life transformation and um, I, I think keeping the focus on that um, on those types of stories can can really set the the culture for staff staff knows that when we do reviews or if i'm sitting down and talking to a staff person if i'm talking to a student pastor i'm not First question out of my mouth is not, well, how many did you have at youth group, right? The first question I have is, hey, you know, tell me about a young lady or a young man in, in student ministry, you know, and um, transformation that you see or the impact God's having. And, and, and by keeping the focus on, on those one at a time stories, I, I think that it, it sets a I think that it sets a tone. And the other thing that we really work hard at is, uh, and I talk about this some in the book, is, is making sure our compassion always has an and to it. You, you know, I think it's very easy for us to um, feel good about our Christian compassion because 
you know, we, we hurt or we sympathize with, you know, the world's struggling, but, but what's the end? And so that's something we talk a lot about is how do we move from just having the emotion to having a story that we can share, uh, putting it into practice. Do you um, ever, as you, even as you're writing the book, you've spent a lot of time talking about Jesus as the example, and I really found that helpful. Um, when I sometimes see the simple way of Jesus and the simple way of the New Testament church, I'm recording this at a very complicated academic institution at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, very complicated institution within an institution. And sometimes I just want to take my guitar and a stool and go start a church with 10 people in my living room and, and not participate in the whatever it is that you and I participate in. It's, I mean, it's, and I just wonder how that in your soul, I mean, there are people listening right now who are saying, well, Kyle, just go and start a house church and keep it simple and disciple people one at a time. I feel that sometimes uh, when I, when I look through the book, I kind of felt, I felt your yearning and longing at times too. So why not do that? If, if, if simple one at a time is better, why are we doing it in batches of dozens and hundreds and thousands? Well, I, you know, I, would love to believe that what we're doing is unleashing other people to do it as well. And so certainly I want to do that in my own circles. I want to make sure I have my own one at a time, but I also want to inspire others to live that way and to be able to share those same types of stories and to learn, you know, the one at a time names. And, and, and I mean, look, you, you, you do that. I was talking to you before we came on about an article that you were, had written and now I had shared that with our leadership and how helpful that was. And so, you know, the impact um, that you can have on others to live out that same philosophy, I think is, is really, uh, is, is really worthwhile. I mean, I think that's the power of the church. I think that's the power of community that if we understand, uh, you know, the Jesus way in the gospels that it gives us, um, you know, but well, it's in the subtitle, the Jesus way to change the world. That doesn't happen by, one person loving and caring for people one at a time. It happens when the church as a community um, decides that that's what we're going to be about, that that's, that's how we're going to measure uh, our mission. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I, I felt that. I mean, I, we wouldn't have this conversation if I didn't believe you. And it's, 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 it's sometimes I have this internal angst, and maybe I'm just, you know, sharing my angst with you. But I do think that a church engaging people who are going to engage people one at a time can make a substantive difference. So what would it look like? So I'm, you know, pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor of some, you know, some church in Texas or some church in Michigan. Uh, I want, as a pastor and leader to, I, I, you know, I'm going to get one at a time. Again, the full title of the book is One at a Time, The Unexpected Way God Wants to Use You to Change Your World. So what would it look like me? What would I be teaching and preaching? What would I be calling people to so they would live lives like that? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say, especially to, you know, the younger generation of leaders, um, you know, I love our, our residents, a lot of our young staff that just have a you know, deep desire to live high impact lives. It's, it's very refreshing for me to be around them. One of the things I would regularly, though, say to them is, hey, I love that you are praying God do something great through me, but but remember, first, it's God, what do you want to do in me? And, and so I, I think this one at a time of approach really begins with the, you know, in then through understanding that, that God 
before he accomplishes something through us in the life of someone else, more often than not, it, there's some things he wants to do in us first. And, and I think as a young pastor, especially you know, as a 22-year-old church planter that was very focused on, God, what do you want to do through me? And not giving a lot of attention to, God, what do you want to do in me? And, and I think I, I really underestimated um, just how necessary it is to get that right. Uh, and, and Jesus was a, you know, he was a great example of this. And and in Mark, where uh, the crowds come and they all have these expectations of Jesus, and and he goes off, you know, to a quiet place and and he spends time with the Father. And then the disciples find him and they say to Jesus, you know, what are you doing? You got all these people with all of these expectations. And and Jesus says, well, it says that Jesus knew what he must do. And he says, I need to go to these towns and to preach, and that's why I've come. And, and it just strikes me that he knew what to do because of his time with the Father. Otherwise, it would have been dominated by the crowds. Otherwise, it would have been controlled by expectations. And, and, and I, as a pastor, can oftentimes feel the weight of that, of like the crowd at the door, the people with expectations. And, you know, if you're at a a church of 150 people, you're overwhelmed by, by what the needs of the, the people are, right? Like, it doesn't take a lot of people to, to feel the weight of that expectation. And, and so understanding that to be effective in ministry, I need to be alone with the Father. I need to make sure I'm focusing on what he's doing in me, and, and then trust that he is going to accomplish his work through me. And I just underestimated that for a long time. And what I've discovered is that the more I give attention to what he's doing in me, the more likely it is that he's going to put someone in my path um, that, that he trusts me with as his son or his daughter to have this one at a time moment with them. But if I try to cheat that, like if, if I'm just trying to, you know, be a person of influence for, you know, the sake of being a person of influence, um, I, I find that it doesn't happen very naturally. So there's something about that that is a bit, um, you know, counterintuitive, but by spending time alone with God, focusing on what do you want to do in me, I just discovered that there are more opportunities to have that through me impact mm -hmm. in the lives of other people. So, so I think that's where I would start. Uh, to answer your question, to start with church leaders is to, yeah. hey, let's make sure that we keep it's I know it's elementary, but, but I think a lot of us miss this. Um, God, what do you want to do in me and and taking the time to um, intentionally pursue that? You know, and I, I, I mean, I completely resonate with you. And I don't know that I would have 20 years ago, though. And, you know, it's not what they pay us for. It's not what I mean, People aren't going to most churches because of the inner spiritual life of the leader. I wish they were. I want I want them more to. So it seems that we're rewarded or directed to be something on a stage rather than to be someone who is, you know, deeply connected to the vine. Mm -hmm. So how I mean, so agreeing with everything you said. But remember, we're, you know, it's the church leaders podcast. So what does it look like as church leaders to convince our people to value things like that? Because I got to tell you, I'm, you know, 
you're a remarkable communicator, and if you didn't come bring a remarkable message regularly at Southeast Christian Church, but you were spending a lot of time with people who really need Jesus and encouraging them, I still don't know how your church, you know, I like your, I met your elders, I like your elders, but there are certain expectations that come with the job. Um, so how do we balance that out with, with the caveat that it seems to me we're not balancing it out well right now? I think your book could be part of the solution to that, but we're not balancing that well right now. So how do we balance it out and how do we help our congregations to balance it out? You know, for me, if I'm not doing it, I run out of things to say pretty quickly. I okay. I mean, I can teach. I, I can certainly pass along information and uh, and teach the scriptures. But if, if I am connecting that to the lives of people, I, I that that well goes dry pretty quickly for me if I'm so, not getting this right. So, you know, one of the things that I, I like to do, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of preachers do something similar to this, but if I'm working on a message or writing an article or a chapter of a book, one of the things I'll often do is I'll write two or three names, you know, in the uh, top of the document. And uh, there's been a time or two I forgot to uh, delete those, but uh, that gets printed out and passed around. But but I, I try to put two or three names of people I know um, need to hear it. Um, sometimes I put names of my kids, you know, yeah. and, and then when I get up to preach, I, I have those names on my mind. And, and then I love to look out, you know, and, and see a couple, you know, that I know really needs this message. It changes the way I communicate. It changes the, the tone of my message. And so I, I try really hard to, even in the preparation part and even in the delivery part to keep this, you know, as the focus and, and I just find that it, 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 it informs my preaching, gives me something to say. And then when I am delivering it, if I'm tired, if I've done a few services and I'm worn out, this is the difference. This makes the difference. I, the moment I, I mean, I think most preachers have had this happen to them where they're getting ready to preach and they find out that somebody in their church invited, you know, a relative or friend, and that person came for the first time in forever. And and what happens that the moment you hear that, like how you engage in that sermon is fresh and it's new. Why? Because now you have a, a person. Now there's a name and a face attached to it. And so I think it inspires the the delivery. So even in the preparation delivery, I, I, you know, I, I believe that's the focus. You know, it's interesting. You know, it's almost like people-centered ministry rather than crowd-centered ministry, or maybe rather than grasping at power-centered ministry or a hundred different things. For what it's worth, I think the timing is so helpful for this. You know, again, we're just interviewing Kyle, and this is available now at the beginning of, um, you know, January and 22. And I, I think this is a message that Christians, Christian leaders need to hear. Again, the title of the book is One at a Time, The Unexpected Way God Wants to Use You to Change the World. It's not, it's not like a book geared towards Christian leaders, it's geared towards Christians. But to me, it's just so important to Christian leaders to hear this message as well. So that would be my kind of final question to you. What do you hope that church leaders, now um, we want everyone to be encouraged by the message of the book, but what can church leaders take away from our conversation today that relates to your theme of one at a time? You know, I I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I feel like it's always a red flag when... You know, I talk to a pastor or maybe we're, you know, considering hiring someone in a pastoral role and they can't tell me a story of transformation of interacting with somebody in a, you know, gospel way that, 
you know, is redeeming. And, you know, I, I want that to be how we, you know, how we measure our faithfulness to the mission. And, and, and so I would just challenge pastors, ministry leaders with that question. Like, what stories can you tell? Like, I, I, you know, if you're, if your church shows up in, you know, outreach magazine, that's awesome. But what, but what are the stories that you can tell? Like, to me, that is, that's the way to gauge it. And, And then the other thing I would say is to stop and remember how, Someone has done that for you. One of the things that happened to me, you have, do you have three girls, Ed? Am I remembering that right? Yep, I do. That's right. Yep. I, I have three, three girls and my youngest uh, child is, is my boy, but he's my only one left at home. But my, I, you know, a few years ago, I had one of my daughters that was just struggling and, you know, feeling alone. And, um, and she was living out of town and, and this couple who are missionaries somehow got connected to her. And they had no idea who I am, and I had no idea who they were. But for whatever reason, you know, God saw fit to uh, put my daughter on their hearts, and they just took care of her, and they loved her, and um, encouraged her, and 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 counseled her, and and they didn't again, they didn't know me. They were just they were just doing what Jesus had had called them to do. And I can't tell you, well, I mean, you know, how much it meant to me when this couple who's living one at a time, it just happened that their one at a time person was my daughter. And, you know, to understand that, you know, we've got a church full of God's sons and daughters that he entrusts us with. And, you know, I, I, I know that he feels the same way even more. And, and so, you know, Asking God to give me that kind of heart for his children um, is, is the prayer. I love it. And I have a similar start story with my daughter, so I love that. Mm-hmm. And I so appreciate you. Um, we've known each other for a while, and I was excited when this new book uh, came out as well, the opportunity to share about it, because I, I just it's been fun watching you lead and live uh, and in, in tumultuous and difficult times, but, but I appreciate you. And again, you've been listening to uh, Kyle Eidemann. Uh, be sure to check out his new book, One at a Time. You can learn more uh, about Kyle at kyleidelman.com. Uh, you can also find that a link in our show notes and all that kind of stuff as well. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You'll find more interviews as well as lots of other great content at churchleaders.com. If you found today's conversation helpful, I want to encourage you to take a few moments to leave a review on iTunes. That'll help other ministry leaders to find the content. And also, you can find this podcast as well as other great Christian podcasts at the Faith Play app. That's Faith Play app, available both Apple and Android. Thanks for taking the time to listen. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.